Father, this morning. <clears throat> uh, God, we say that you are enough. God, I pray that you would be all to us. God, that the way we would measure our lives, the way we measure our significance, our value, our success in life would not be based on us and what we accomplish. God, that we would not find our identity in <clears throat> God, a team that we root for or the family that we're a part of or our friends, or our community, or even our church, God, but we would find our identity in you. God, that we would measure ourselves based on your grace. God, knowing that as we stand here today, by your grace, through salvation in Jesus Christ, God, you see us as holy and blameless. God, you do not feel shame. God, you love us and have made us holy before you. God, may we find ourselves in you and use this morning to do that. Thank you for your grace. Praise you today. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat, and kids are dismissed. We are reading from Luke. 19, 28 through 44 today. <clears throat> and when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teachers, or teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. If you have a Bible and you want to get to that passage... going to look at Luke 19 today. Um, before we get there, I want to begin with an apology. Um, so last week, I uh, made a statement um, that was, in my sermon, that was somewhat judgmental um, and degrading. And uh, if you're here, you should know what I'm talking about. If you're not, if you don't, then you can ask me afterwards. I'm not going to repeat it, so I don't have to apologize next week. Um, but um, I, while I'm passionate about what I want to see God do here, 
I never want to create shame around where people live or where God's called people. And uh, I did that last week. So I asked for your forgiveness. Um, it distracted from the gospel. Um, it distracted from really what God um, wants to do and is doing. And so, uh, so I apologize and ask for your forgiveness. So we pray with me. Um, God, I thank you that you're a God of grace and a God of second chances. Um, and, uh, and God, I pray that you would, you would guide us this morning, that you'd guide my words. Um, God, I don't have much to bring that isn't empowered by your spirit that's not going to do harm unless you're in it. And so I just ask for you to, to come empower and teach and use your word um, to teach the truth and that you would uh, just move aside my humanity where it's not helpful and where it could distract from the goodness of God and the call of the gospel on us as a church and on our lives as individuals. And so um, would you move among us this morning? Uh, God, I love you and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so next Sunday is Easter, and I just want to, I think I said it last week, I just want to really encourage you to, to invite somebody. Um, just an incredible opportunity. Um, uh, there's a good chance that person will come. And so um, if you're like, I don't know, I don't know what they're going to say, just, just invite them. Um, and uh, we're also having a Good Friday service. You can invite them to that as well. But, um, so if you're familiar, I might kind of introed with this. But what, uh, what this Sunday is about is it's known as Palm Sunday. And you just heard Kelly read it, and we're going to look at it a little bit today. But it's really, um, it's the day where Holy Week begins, where as we prepare for the, the last week of Christ's life is what's happening in Luke 19, known as the triumphal entry, where the king uh, comes in on a donkey. It's interesting, right? Like, kings don't come in on donkeys. They come in on stallions. They come in, like, in royalty and power. Um, but the people in Jerusalem were celebrating, really, something they didn't know what they were celebrating. Because they thought all along that this king um, would be different. They had this expectation that Jesus would come, really, I think, in a lot of ways, like, like every other royal figure, like every other king that would come in power and be this tyrant of sorts that would establish authority. Um, now, Jesus established authority, no doubt, but he just did it in ways different than anybody else. Um, they wanted a king that would be so focused on the physical circumstances. How can you rescue us from our situation? Um, they wanted one that would overthrow the Roman tyranny. Um, but like we know, they got somebody very different, right? Um, they got Jesus, who he says in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. They got Jesus who, while he was a leader and he established authority, he was a humble servant who came to die, right? Like that's the irony of Jesus, like the celebration of Jesus coming um, on a donkey for the final week of his life. But he's preparing to lose in a sense that ultimately brings about his victory. Um, he's not a dictator. He's a humble servant. Um, Look at, look at a few of these words. Let's just zoom in on the beginning of this passage that we just heard. Um, look at verse 28 if you're there, Luke 19. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he, 
And when he drew near to Bethpage at Bethany, in Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say to them, the Lord has need of it. I just, I just love this little exchange here. I think it's just very intriguing. And so what happens? So those who were unti- um, the What's the place? Um, if, anyone has, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as they'd been told. And as they were untying it, what happened? The owner's like, dude, what are you, what are you doing with my colt? And basically it says, the Lord has need of it. Oh, okay, okay, go ahead. Jesus needs it. Go ahead. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And he was, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So that's, that's the exchange. And, and I think that, I think one of the things, as, as I've looked at this passage this week, and one of the things I just want to point out is, I'm amazed at the poise with which Jesus enters Jerusalem. Like how much he confidently trusts in his Father. But, but I, want you to, I want to focus as we, as we think on that, I want to focus on verse 36. Look at verse 36. And as he rode along, they spread the cloaks on the road. So you're probably familiar with this concept, right? It's like royalty, right? It's like the red carpet. It's like if the president is coming or any national figure, there's security that's preparing the way um, from a safety standpoint, like rolling out the red carpet, here comes this great figure, this great king, this great president, this great person of authority. That's what they're doing here. But they're literally like, these are, this is their, they're doing it with their lives. They're doing it with their possessions. They're laying them down in a sense of this royal king who's coming. They're paving the way for Jesus. But it's interesting because they're doing it in a way that they don't realize they're doing it. They think Jesus is going to accomplish something different than he ultimately accomplishes. So in the middle of this celebration, like we talked a little bit about this last week, they're celebrating something that would look very different from what they thought it might look. We we named that this week, uh, last week, this idea of praise we didn't plan, right? Like, learning to trust and celebrate God in a way that we don't expect or don't necessarily always desire, but yet we trust Him. We, we pave this way with our lives, with who we are, with what we do, with how we live, in a way that says He's God, in a way that says He has a plan and He wants to accomplish something, and I'm willing to take off my jacket and put it on the ground to pave the way for Him. Um, I, love, I love Isaiah 55. Verse 8, it says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. There's an aspect, even as we think about what it looks like to, to take our very, like God wanting to use our lives and focus in our lives to pave a way for Jesus. Um, do you ever struggle with the concept of like, God, I don't understand what you're doing or why you're doing it. 
right? Because if you look at Jesus and you look at how he's entering into Jerusalem, um, he's doing it in a very different way than what we would want or expect. But yet we wonder, God, well, I, I don't understand why I see things differently than you do. And, and God's like, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. I'm doing something different. I'm wiser than you. And even as I think about this idea of, okay, how, how am I paving the way for Jesus in my life? How am I in my, in my life for God to do a work in my life to establish his kingship and authority in my life regardless of what I want that to look like? Isn't that so easy? Like when we began the, day, the 40 days of transformation thing, one of the things that I, um, that I tried to do intentionally was not set out to say, here's God, here's what I want you to do ultimately, but more so, God, I want you to do what you want to do. I'll lay myself out there. That's, that's what they're doing, but they don't know they're doing that. Like they're saying, come, like I'm paving the way for you to come. And all the while in the midst of paving the way for them to come, for Jesus to come, he's wanting to accomplish something very different than they realized. It's inviting God's kingship to have authority in how we view everything, in how we parent, in how we handle employees, in how we handle the chaos of our Lives, God, your authority matters. Your authority speaks into how I do whatever. Um, but the other thing that's interesting is, is how he uses our lives. Like when you look at Jesus um, and you look at how he came to this earth, um, he lived for 33 years. He spent the last three and a half years leading up to what today represents historically. Um, and he was a humble servant who was literally like, Father, like, use me. Do whatever you want through me. It's amazing that God would take finite, broken individuals like you and I and say, I want to use your life. Because, right, what happens? Like, Jesus is entering Jerusalem to ultimately be handed over to sinners, and God uses sinners and brokenness to accomplish what would ultimately be his redemptive plan. Um, Is it not so easy for you and I to want to live in a way that people kind of are in awe of us? Like, you ever, you ever experienced that? Like, I mean, that's what, that's in many ways what social media is a lot of times. Like, we want people to look at us and be like, like, wow, like, look at where they're at or look at what they're doing or look at what they experience. And so there's this natural sense when we live our lives that people, we want people to be like, wow, aren't they great? Aren't they doing something great? We want people to be in awe of our lives. Jesus wanted people to be in awe, not so much of him, but of his Father. He was always deflecting praise to his Father, which is why he was willing to enter into Jerusalem and take the path that would ultimately be his death. Because I mean, notice that, I mean, what's going to happen in a couple of days in, in Gethsemane? You remember? What is, what is, what's the interaction that Jesus has with his Father? God, I don't want to die. I don't want to do this. I don't want to endure. I don't want to be handed over to my enemy. Like, who wants that? Right? Like, who wants to ultimately say, okay, here, take me. Fine, I'll give in. Okay, you win. Go ahead. Nobody. Nobody. Jesus said, if there's any other way, I don't want to do this. 
Because he was wanting to live in a way that was, would lead people to be in awe of the Father more than in awe of even him. Look at verse 41. And when he drew near and, and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, what would, you, who, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. I th- man, I think this is an incredibly striking passage. So we know of another instance where Jesus weeps. You know, you familiar with that story? Story of Lazarus, where Lazarus is dead and they come to him and, and Jesus weeps. Here's another instance where he's coming into Jerusalem. He sees this city that he's poured out his life for, that he's fought for, that he's tried to win over for his kingdom, so to speak. And I'm just amazed at the sheer fact that he cries. What, what do you think the fact that Jesus Christ says about Jesus? Any thoughts? He feels. Man, like that'll change. That'll change our world. Like that God, God feels. Like when, when we're experiencing something, Jesus feels he feels things. Like he, the, he, even the humanity of Jesus is present in this passage where he gets to Jerusalem and he's like, he's looking over the city and he feels something for the city. Anything else? What, is, what does his tears reveal about him? Grief. Hmm. This isn't how it was supposed to go. I love the fact that it shows that he, in his grief, he cares. Like, that's amazing. Like, God looks down, he looks at your life, he looks at my life, and he cares. I mean, how easy would it for him to be like, eh, good luck. And there's lots of us out here in this world, right? Not in God's perspective. He cares, but what? But, but why, why does he cry? So he, get, he comes to the city, and it says that he enters, he saw the city, he weeps over the city, but, but why? What, was it because what he was about to endure, his, his death? Um, listen to these words by one, one writer. He says, Jesus knew that the city of Jerusalem and its power structure, both Jewish and Roman, would reject him. They would take him to the cross, so he wept. Not for his immediate fate, but for, his, for the stubborn, sinful blindness of the city. The city God loves has no love for him. So he's weeping because the stubbornness and the sinfulness of the very people that he's serving and trying to draw their hearts to him aren't willing, aren't interested um, I honestly, I see, a, I see an invitation here. I see an invitation as God's people to cry with Jesus, really where we don't see God's dreams play out. Like where we're living our life and we're believing God, God wants to accomplish, we're seeing God's desire to accomplish things even in the scriptures and how they play out today, and where they aren't accomplished, I think there's a, there's a healthy, and even a biblical grief where it says Jesus wept over the city. He wept over, this is what I want to accomplish, but it wasn't accomplished. 
We looked last week at Psalm 126. Those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. There's a, there's a weeping. It's healthy. It's healthy. Although, if you're like me, you try to avoid those situations, right? You try to navigate life in such a way where everything goes well. And everything's successful. So you don't have to mourn loss. But I think this begs the question, so is Jesus out of control here? Has God in this moment like lost sovereignty? Right? Like Jesus is there looking over the city and he's weeping because the scenario is, is it not playing out the way he wants? He's weeping about the sin and stubbornness that's present. So is Jesus now not sovereign? Is he, is he out of control? I think he's very much in control. Listen to how Luke 18 puts it. Taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written, everything that's been planned from the beginning of time, everything that's been planned about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. He's saying this about himself. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. So he's very much in control, but yet he's still mourning the reality that the joy that's offered isn't received. The joy that's offered isn't received. I think it's, one author put it this way, called it tears of sovereign mercy. Right? It's like we said, we said last week, um, and I, I believe deeply that in the, like, as God's people, where we see sin and where we see injustice and where we see sickness and where we see um, where the kingdom of God isn't fully realized, even in our own hearts where unbelief is present, what do we do? We've got to trust God in the midst of it, but what do we do? We still pray that God would remove it. Right? We still pray that God would remove cancer and sickness and, and disobedience and waywardness and injustice, but yet we, tr- we still got to trust Him in the midst of it. They go hand in hand. They go together. Um, yet Jesus, I just, I just, I'm amazed at His poise as He enters Jerusalem, gets handed over to His enemy, ultimately walks in humility, he lets his enemies get the upper hand so that in the end, humility wins. And that's not how our world thinks or sees. And that's not how we tend to think and see is that humility is what ultimately wins because humility forces us to do what? Trust God. Like Jesus, when he's on that road entering Jerusalem on a donkey of all things, getting ready to be handed over to his enemies, what is he doing? He's saying, Father, I, I trust you. You're all I have. I trust you and your ways. It's how God works. It's like, I think it's one of the reasons why I love March Madness. It's like, like the, the whole idea of like Middle Tennessee beating Michigan State. Like even the experts were like, Unbelievable. Like that a 15 would beat a 2 who was very, had very good chances of winning a national championship. Like the odds were absolutely against them. 
Like, this is how God works. He's like, the possibilities here are nearly impossible. And that's why I want to accomplish it. That's why I want to do it. Because I want to show you that I love bad odds. I love bad situations. I love when things look like there's no possible way that a 15 could beat a 2. And that's the very moment I want you in because you're in humility and brokenness. And you have no hope but all the hope in the world. Because you have me as your God. That's how God works. He loves the unpredictable. He loves the underdog. He loves bad odds. That's how he works. Look at verse 43. They're fighting here first. Let me me back up and preface with this before we go to 43. Um, They're in disagreement here about how to accomplish peace, how to bring resolution to their situation. We see that back in verse 42 where Jesus says, even you, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. So it's like you have this perspective of how peace is accomplished. That's not how peace is accomplished. Because So what does he then unpack he, um, in 43? For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear down, tear you down to the ground you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you do not know the time of your visitation. So ultimately, Jesus is predicting the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. If you're a historical guy or girl, um, what Jesus is doing here, think about, have you ever had a situation where your life just, you feel like you're backed into a corner and life just got you? And you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get out of the situation. My, my enemies are completely surrounding me. That's what Jesus is describing. And the belief is that we need this tyrant, this authority. We need this certain kind of leader that's going to get us out. I mean, we had this debate, I mean, even in the, the heat of the presidential election, like it's the debate about the kind of leader that can, that can make the country the kind of country people want. And what kind of leader, there's so many debates about what that looks like. And it's interesting because you look at Jesus and you look at his life and you look at his humility was the thing that changed the game and brought change and redemption, not his tyrancy. That's what brings peace. They didn't understand what would bring peace. And part of this idea of trusting God and trusting even Jesus, trusting in the Father and what the Father wants to accomplish through his death. As people, we have to learn to trust God's way of accomplishing peace in our lives, in our hearts, in our world. It's why the psalmist, that's why David in Psalm 27.3 says this, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Like, who says that? Like, I'm in a horrible situation. I'm surrounded at every turn. I'm backed into a corner. We're good. This is how it's supposed to go. It's like, I'll be confident. 2 Corinthians 4.16 So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Why? Because there's a God who's coming to Jerusalem to bring about redemption. 
and to bring about hope. When our lives like peace, this, this is the way to get it back. It's a confidence in God, not a confidence in what's going on around us, what's going on in our world, what's going on in our situation. I think we have to be really careful when we begin to think that the primary way to regain control of a situation is through harsh words and harsh leadership and dominance. That's how we bring change. That's not how Jesus brought change. Did he come in authority? Absolutely. He's about to turn over the tables in the temple. He came in authority, but he came in humility. And if we're going to be people that learn to weep with Jesus, if we're going to be people that learn to pave the way for Jesus with our lives, we have to learn to be people who walk in humility and grace in the midst of brokenness. In the midst of your pastor sinning against you from this very position, in the midst of your spouse or your coworker, because it's, it gets broken and it's a mess. And the danger and the tendency is that we would respond in a way h- harshly to regain control of what's been lost through someone else's failures. And it's the way our world wants to regain control. It's the way we're taught when we look at our culture to become jaded as Christians. Gosh, it's my biggest prayer for my life is that I wouldn't become jaded as a Christian regarding the sinfulness of the world and just pray for the destruction of sin um, and sinners and not believe and pray for the sovereign mercy of God to change hearts like God changed my heart. Because we want that, like we view people or we view situation, we're like, just bring harm upon, like, just do away with it, just drop a bomb on them. Until we're that person, until we're that situation, until we're that, don't forgive. Wait, now it's me? Oh, please forgive me. I don't want to be jaded. I think it's crazy. This is kind of how I want to land and lead us to respond. The Son of God. The creator of heaven and earth has come humbly down to earth and is preparing to be handed over to his enemies so that ultimately in the end, humility will win. And today I just want to praise him for that. Like my prayer is that, that we would be in awe of Jesus this morning, that we'd be in awe of his beauty and his faithfulness to his father and his father's plan, his father's mission to, to regain control of our lives and to regain control of the struggles that we face. But secondly, I think that it would, that would also move us to become a, a certain kind of people that not only pave the way for Jesus in our lives, but also through our lives as we weep where, dream, where, where God's dreams don't, aren't presently fulfilled and where we're praying that God's kingdom would be established in our own hearts, in our church, in our city. That's my prayer this morning. Um, Let's pray and then I want to lead us in some time of response. God, I thank you for your humble presence I thank you that you're a God who cares 
Jesus, I thank you that you're obedient. And I pray that you would lead us this morning to be in awe of you. I pray that you would lead us this morning to realize how amazing you are. God, where we don't trust you, where we don't believe you, where we aren't willing, where we, ha- we believe we have a better grasp on how to accomplish the good in our lives. Would you, would you humble us? Where we're jaded as Christians, would you correct us? God, would you lead us to be the kind of person that you were as you entered Jerusalem in humility and trust in your good Father. God, and as we think on the coming of Easter, God, we just stand in all of you and all that you've done in history, in the week that we're, we're, we're experiencing now. God, we thank you. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.